Welcome, fellow gamers. Uh, this episode, we get to talk to Elizabeth Shapurdakun of uh, Angry Hamster Publishing and also well-known for Afterlife Wandering Souls, which is the primary role-playing game that we're going to talk about today. A uh, little caveat for you, though. This is coming out much later than I expected it to, and as a result, the Kickstarter that is for uh, her other work that was being worked on. <laughs> uh, two women, 12 games, make 100. That Kickstarter is already passed, but I imagine that if you stay connected to Angry Hamster Publishing, that you will find out more about that. Also, if you were, um, if you follow the Afterlife Wandering Souls updates, there is also now a new game that has been put out. Uh, it's a, it's a basically a uh, print and play. Um, important information. Uh, this is going to be called Blend Book. I think it's called Blend Book. Blend Book. Uh, it, a book for soft skins who want to play the best folk. It's a game about goblins. Uh, you can pick it up on Drive Through RPG also. So just wanted to plug those two things because that's pretty darn cool. Elizabeth is working in the midst of this coronal shift that we are in, so uh, you guys can still get out and play and do fun things. Have fun, play games, stay inside. That's that's the message here, right? All right. So uh, this is a nice primer for anybody who hasn't checked into Afterlife Wandering Souls. I'll let Elizabeth kind of tell you all about it, but my encouragement is for you to go out and buy Afterlife Wandering Souls, whether you buy the hardback or you buy the PDF from from uh, DriveThruRPG or wherever you buy, just go out and buy it. You're going to really like it. Um, it's a nice open-ended role-playing game system that you can easily pop into, just learn a few rules, and then you're you're good to go. And then your creativity is set free by this amazing system. So I probably used the superlative amazing too much in this episode, but that's okay because it's a tremendously fun RPG. So without further ado, here we go. Uh, this is our conversation with Elizabeth Chapurdakun. Welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris. Rolling for Change is a podcast about the transformational nature of gaming. I am joined today by Elizabeth Chapratakun, uh, who wrote Afterlife Wandering Souls. And this game just caught my attention so much that I had to talk to her. <laughs> How are you doing, Elizabeth? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. You know, I, I backed this Kickstarter a while back and... Uh, um, I didn't have any reason to believe that it was going to be the fantastic game that it's turned out to be, but I knew that it was addressing the afterlife and addressing lost memories, and that was just kind of immediate go-to for me. So um, I'm not going to try to uh, tell the story of your game because I'm still a little bit in the dark, um, but maybe if you could uh, talk about, you know, first, if we could talk about to people what Afterlife Wandering Souls is, and then we can get kind of deeper into the mythology that you've you've created because I'm I'm fascinated by everything you did here. Okay, well, so Afterlife: Wandering Souls is a strange surrealist fantasy game where you play a wanderer. 
And what a wanderer is, is a person like you or I who has died and they don't end up in the afterlife they thought they were going to. So if they were atheists, you know, they don't go into nothing. If they were religious, they don't go into heaven or hell or they're not reincarnated. What happens is that they take a long boat ride through darkened waters and they end up kind of spat out on this endless desert. And the thing about their life, or sorry, the thing about their afterlife is that they don't actually remember who they were when they were living. So they have to travel this endless desert going into these different worlds in search of memories that they lost. And of course they do this with fellow wanderers along the way who have lost their memories as well. And their goal ultimately is to reconnect with who they were and then find where their soul is meant to rest. This is such an amazing mythology that you've created, and it's so outside of, like, I imagine that your your influences are in the spiritual religious realm as far as creating this world, but you've also tried your best to make it completely separate from anything that we would expect from our afterlife. What was yeah. the motivation for this? Well, you know, I started, um, I always had the idea, right, that I wanted people searching after lost memories. So that was kind of like the genesis of the game. Mm -hmm. But at first, actually, I really had it framed in a, a Judeo-Christian manner. So the way you gained resonance and what resonance is in the game is um, how you connect with your past life was actually through the seven heavenly virtues and the seven deadly sins. Because um, okay. that was just like an instant go-to for me. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I can gamify that. But <laughs> what I realized through playing the game um, and the more I got into creating the game, that the seven sins and the seven virtues didn't actually like codify at all kind of the breadth of human experience. Um, and then it became very clear that I needed to make something that was unique. I needed to create a world that wasn't connected to any of our, well, at least like not deeply connected and rooted in any of our kind of traditional religious afterlives, um, because that wouldn't work for the game. Mm -hmm. So why lost memories then? Um, well, I think... You know, I always want to, I want to create games um, where you can kind of fall in love with your character. Um, I was talking to a friend and we, we were talking about game design and that that's always the goal for me. Um, and so I kind of wondered, you know, what would happen if you didn't know who you were and you only had kind of the briefest, the briefest thought of who you were. Um, and then you got to play through kind of your character's backstory throughout the entire game. And that was kind of a, a somewhat romantic notion um, for me that, uh, yeah, that you could kind of work through those memories in game and play through them. So that's mm -hmm. where I got kind of the lost memory idea. Um, and then from there, we kind of built it up to like, well, are you going to come to terms with who you are? Are you going to realize you're a bad person? You were a really bad person and you want to try to be a good person in this life? Or are you going to make peace with it? Are you going to embrace it? Um, and then I kind of went from there. That creates a really rich uh, tapestry into, you know, to pour your character into and to try to try to fetter out what is, who am I, basically. I, I love that idea because so many times we spend a little bit of time on character development when we start an RPG, and then we play the character. But here we're kind of learning who the character is as we go, which is just fascinating to me. It's like these pieces of you keep popping up and you keep finding out more and more about them. 
Yeah, um, and I mean, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, I just want to say yeah, like with with character creation, I think also like you know some of the some of the options in characterization can be quite dark. Like I saw a murder. Um, like we had one friend, he ro rolled up a character, and our only conclusion was at least the way he rolled up his character, like you had to be a criminal. Like there, there's no way you couldn't be. But I think then with what your GM presents to you, you have the option to be very surprised. So you can think from like kind of these brief hints of memory, you're like, oh, wow, I was a terrible person. Um, and then through playing through your memories with your GM, it could be like, no, you, you were just incredibly unlucky. And that's kind of the fun of it as well. Now, as the GM, are you coming up with, like, are you developing these memories or are these memories improvised by the character? How do we determine where we're headed here? Is it just a activity in creativity and kind of like uh, we could almost talk, talk about it from an archetypal position where it's like we're bringing it up from the inside as opposed to someone external to us? How does this work? Well... Um, so character creation um, is fairly random. Basically, you roll up different memories, and it'll be something like, I experienced a murder, or um, I was a thief, for example. So you get kind of these brief hints, but then you as a player, when you go into these different planes of existence called limbos, you as a player decide what's important to you. So if you see something, for example, you go, you and your friends go into a limbo, and you meet a queen... Um, and she's a very regal, poised person, then you would say to your GM, I want to name a fragment. And in that game, that means your character's remembering something. So my character would be like, I, I name a fragment. It's that queen. And that queen basically reminds me of my grandmother. Um, and then from there, you pick which memory you would want to relive, and then your GM sets the scene from you. So it's collaborative, right? So you as a player... Mm -hmm are giving the grandmother impetus of like this beautiful regal woman. Um, and then you have the memory, which you've rolled up and then you have your GM, which is like, okay, now I'm going to create this scene for you. Okay. So it, there's a little bit of improv going on there. And then the GM kind of the role of the dice and the GM ultimately kind of decide putting all this stuff together. And that's, that's what creates the storyscape basically. Yeah, exactly. So the reason that this game caught my attention so much, and and you haven't really alluded to any of this, so I imagine that this wasn't on your mind as you were doing it, but when I think about someone who's gone through a traumatic experience, because I'm a therapist, so I, I think about things in these terms, um, they have this moment, they have these, you know, especially if it's a really, really bad trauma, they'll go through, like, loss of memory and loss of self, and there's kind of the process of trauma therapy then becomes kind of getting back to yourself, I mean, it's just almost the same as it would be with someone who was dealing with amnesia or something. Um, but that can be an unfolding process. And when I saw this unfolding that, that goes on in afterlife, I was like, oh, that's, that's, very, that's very similar to doing a therapy session. That's very similar to, moving, uh, to helping someone move into a space of knowing themselves better. So that caught my attention. And I, I haven't, haven't kind of placed it out or put it together yet, but it seems like it would be an ideal place to uh, develop some therapeutic applications. Yeah, like, sorry, I was, I was just thinking about what you said. I mean, like, I totally, I, I see what you're saying. I also think, like, I mean, that's one thing that we did try to work into afterlife, at least, like, what you said is, like, when resonates with me with what you said is kind of just 
kind of the acceptance of self basically Mm -hmm. um and that is one of the things about afterlife no matter what memories um your character ultimately experiences about who they are um they're just collecting them to know who they are um and to kind of come to an acceptance and to come to kind of an end um once they've regained all those memories so yeah i mean i like i'd be interested to hear from you like how you would play this in a therapeutic way because like i myself like i'm not a professional so i don't think i would dare do that with somebody um well it has to come with a lot of different uh caveats to what therapy can be so um those who have listened to our show before knows that uh, we've talked to a number of therapists to use role-playing games in their therapeutic practice and the, the the place that makes the most sense to me is that there is a bleed that goes on in the game, meaning that the game can reflect the person and the person can reflect the game. So there's kind of a an awareness being brought to particular situations. And so it wouldn't be that you take it and you put somebody's actual autobiography into the game. It would be that you use the the sort of created world to identify issues that are going on in people's lives through that process of bleed, through that process of reflection where they can see themselves in the character they're looking at. The other thing I thought about as we were talking about it is that, you know, we have so much problems being friendly to the other in our, in our daily reality. There are people that we've identified they are not me, they're not part of my in-group, they're not part of my dynamic, and we've just kind of shut them out. Like, that is not part of my reality, therefore I don't have to interact. And here you are in a role-playing game, and you're having to investigate yourself, potentially find that you are a person you yourself don't like, and deal with that in a way that's going to be healthy for the game, healthy for your experience of the game. Because obviously the game is for fun, but you're you're going to have those moments of kind of edginess if you're having to deal with the fact, like for me, if I had to deal with the fact that I find out that I'm a murderer, I'm going to have to come to terms with that against my own morality, you know, the player who's playing the character. And so those kind of things seem like they offer lots of opportunities for us to discuss the way that we relate to the world in general, and then more specifically how we relate to the other people that we experience in the world. Definitely, yeah. I mean, the op- the opportunity to play things other than yourself and to kind of take that risk. So I think sometimes when we create characters in role-play games, we tend to protect ourselves because, you know, you, you want to see yourself as a hero, right? Normally in mm-hmm. role-play games, you kind of want to see yourself as this idealized version of wh- whoever you're playing. Um, so I think one of the one of the nice things about Afterlife that kind of lets you let go of that is the character creation because, indeed, you you just roll up a character and there may be things about you that either maybe you've never lived yourself or that you've never wanted to live. Right. Right. Um, And I guess, you know, that can be confronting, but it also can be freeing as a, as a player because you just have to embrace that then. Right. You're like, okay, so it says my character killed someone. I'm going to try to discover how and why, because Mm -hmm. I I need to know, you know, and uh, that's kind of a cool aspect, just that freeness. Yeah, and and having that fantasy environment in which to explore it means that you don't have to get really serious about it. In, yeah, instead it's like of you know, taking it really place. like as a yeah, it's safe. That's that's the right word. Um, 
so I imagine you've played this. I mean, you obviously wrote the game, so I imagine you've played this a number of times at this point. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in the process. Understatement. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. In fact, I've seen a few sessions online. If, if uh, those listeners who go online and look for Afterlife Wandering Souls will find uh, several different live broadcasts of uh elizabeth plain afterlife wandering souls with various people one and one of them being camden wright of uh one child's heart fame um in playing this game have you yourself discovered anything about yourself um i think you know like i i knew this already about myself but like i i often have the need to um and, you know, and, and that I think kind of shows in me jamming a lot of things like I have often have the need to control situations. Um, so when my characters go into having like I name a fragment, right? Like I have the tendency mm -hmm. to be like, oh, yeah, that regal woman reminds me of my grandmother. Let me tell you why. Um, and I've had to stop myself because <laughs> part of it is being surprised by your memories, right? Is like kind of giving uh -huh. away that control. Um, of yourself and of your character and of the narrative which you're going to create and just experiencing a past scene and a past memory, which I found very difficult. And it's not something that is necessarily new for me, but it's something that's always underlined every time I play Afterlife. It's like, oh yeah, just accept this. Just go with it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's difficult. And and have you only played as GM or have you played as a character? Yeah, G as a as a character, this is where I'm uh, talking. I normally run it, but when I've played it, um, mm -hmm. because I always think it's it's a very very good idea for all those game developers out there that you you must play your game right. You need to know how it feels to be a player. Um, yeah. But when I've played it, that's been the most confronting thing. Is like, oh yeah, I, I'm not controlling this scene. I'm just, <laughs> you know, saying something and seeing where it goes, and that's uh, that's hard, man. Yeah, especially when you were the creator of the game. <laughs> I know. It's also like you, sometimes you just need to shut your mouth and, and see the creativity that other people have and enjoy it. And once you actually give yourself over to that experience, it's fantastic. Without uh, cornering any one person in the world, because I'm sure a lot of people have played this game with you, turning it to your players, have you seen your players make discoveries about themselves while playing? Um. I've seen uh, a good friend of mine. Um, she's often very lighthearted with games. Um, and I, I've seen her like care a little bit more um, because I think once you, you know, when you know everything about your character when you start um, and there's no room to kind of be surprised, you, you can kind of protect yourself in some way from the game. Um, in terms of like you know caring for a character right mm -hmm. um so we had uh i had a friend who played and she actually she rolled up a really random character like there was even a monkey at one point in one of her memories it was very strange um but we we actually i had developed the story that actually she was an actress um so all the kind of random pieces were like getting uh connected together in that way and she ended up kind of living a very lonely life because she had like these amazing weird moments in uh, in her movies, but then she would come home and she would ultimately be alone because she found it difficult to connect with people. Um, mm. And I remember my friend being like, wow, this is actually really horrible. 
Um, and I'm like, are you actually, and it was funny to see her kind of connect with that character. And that was, that was something that like we normally don't see from her. So that was kind of special and, and fun. Yeah. Excellent. Um, now the, I'm going to take it another direction real quick. Cause I, I, I really, I love the fact that, that, that a game can change someone. That's, that's one of my favorite things about games when, when we experience them as a change agent in our own lives. But when I'm, when I'm looking at afterlife, there's these like there's this possibility of becoming a permanent part of the Tenebris, which is the the desert area that you come into when you're when you're coming off the boat. And those people have just decided there is no further going on. They're just in a stuck kind of space, and they live in this stuck kind of space. And it seems like it would be devastating to me in the game as a player to suddenly be in a space where I was like, okay, this game's no longer moving forward. How do you deal with those people? I mean, that's somebody who's failed their trip, basically, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, the unrequited, basically, they're, they're, yeah, these sad people who have either decided there's nothing left, right? Like, there's no end mm -hmm. for me. Or they've decided that these memories that I'm discovering are so horrible, I don't want to delve into them anymore. Therefore, I'm going to stop looking. Um, so yeah, it, it's confronting for players when they meet the unrequited and we have this tension between wanderers and unrequited in the game where the, the two groups don't like each other, you know, like wanderers are, are, you know, violent or hostile towards unrequited and the unrequited are the same way. Um, because I think they're kind of mirrors of each other, obviously, you know, you're one mm -hmm. or the other. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's horrifying to see, um, and, and insofar as you as a, as a player character, um, there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of ways you have to go before you turn unrequited. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and obviously that's a horrifying, I think, I think it's a horrifying way to go as a player. I, I've never gone so far myself playing the game to become unrequited, but I think, uh, I think it must be a tough choice. Yeah, it's it's a matter of well, I mean, there's still the unknown of the end of everything. Once you've gone to all your various places and fulfilled your destiny, that I I don't know if there's a mythology for what's beyond last door, or if you just do it all over again, or how that looks. But um, the unrequited would seem to be the people that are not interested in seeing what lies through that door. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you think either they, uh, yeah, they don't want to go there or they can't because they've lost all hope, basically. And I think that's a, it's, a, it's a difficult pill to swallow because there's no, we don't really, in afterlife, in terms of wanderers, there's no moral judgments of, like, good or bad memories, right? Like, they're just mm. memories. All memory is good memory. Um, so really, the unrequited, those people who lose hope are just losing hope in any sense of, like, I want to connect with who I was. Like they just dislike themselves that much or are scared of themselves that much that they're not willing to go there. But they still form families. Yes? Did I read that correctly? Yeah. Do they not form families? Well, they, they can if they want to. I mean, uh, so basically once you become unrequited, um, you're just kind of your person in in the afterlife so yeah you could form family friends and stuff like that but then you are a person without your memories and you just form a new life basically okay okay so you could potentially be happy as an unrequited then yeah for sure for sure i think you um 
Well, the thing is, the thing about it is, is it depends on what type of unrequited you become because there's a lot of different types. So they're almost, some of them are almost like ghosts in Tenebrist where you don't really have much of a sense of self. Um, and then there's some that are kind of like, re they repeat past memories over and over again. Then you have like the normal unrequited who um, are just reflections of wanderers. And then you have other people who kind of become like this monstrous thing. So if, if you, if you're within the realm of normal unrequited, yeah, I, I can imagine that you could have a happy life just being like, you know what, I'm going to put that past life behind me. I don't want to know about it. Here's my new world type yeah. thing. Um, there are so many aspects to this world that are just fascinating to me. Like pretty much as a, as a GM or as a player, anything can happen in the Tenebris, especially when you go into the various limbos that you go to and... Um, Am I right? There's limbos and there's one other place that you go to. Mirages. Mirages, Mirages are kind of like cities you. and towns in the Tenebris. <clears throat> yeah. And then the limbos are kind of the places that you go to get the memories. Yeah. So when you go to get the memory, that that that's pretty much just a completely open, like open creative field because there's no certainty of what's there. Is that correct? Yeah, so basically every limbo you go into is kind of like its own dem demi-plane. Um, and like, okay, of course we have limbos in the books, but yeah, they're completely they're completely out there. Like you could go to a world made of jello. You could go into a renaissance Europe. Um, it can really be anything and everything. Um, and you kind of have to just try to interact with the world. That's your goal as a wanderer. As long as you interact, e.g. have a kind of fun adventure wherever it is, mm -hmm. uh, you're able to kind of regain a semblance of yourself by uh, just seeing certain triggers almost in uh, in the limbos about who you once were. What's the most fanciful thing you've seen in playing so far? Um, One of those places. I mean, I like well, a world full of Jello. That's <laughs> yeah, Jello world. Yeah, I think. Well, I think one of the places I loved most um, that sometimes when I'm doing one-off games to get players into the weirdness of a limbo, I actually have the players create the limbo with me, um, just because it's it's a good exercise, you know, getting everyone ready and into playing. And I was doing a uh, a podcast, uh, sorry, a uh, a live game with the Gauntlet. And they created, like, this jungle with this, like, king tiger and all these shapeshifters. And the imagery to me was so beautiful because they just had, like, this giant moon and this starry sky. Um, and these animals who couldn't shapeshift out of their human form. And it was just kind of this really beautiful scene that they set up. And I, it's maybe not the weirdest and most out there thing. But for me, just the way that each player added the different details to the scene, like I could could taste it. You know what I mean? And for me, that's yeah. kind of magic when you're able to like live so deeply in a world. Well, that's what you hope that your players are going to do is to create something, to have a chance to create something just fantastical and magical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it was just beautiful and it was so much fun to run once they gave me all that information. I'm like, I'm ready. Let's do this, you know? Well, I'm hoping what what we've done is is really engage people and get them involved and interested in in playing Afterlife. One, because I want more people to play with, <laughs> and <laughs> and and two, because it's it's just such a fantastic uh, creation that you've made here. 
Um, just stepping away a little from that, are you a gamer by 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 your like? Is that your normal hobby world, or um, did you just kind of happen into games? No, I'm a, I, I've been a gamer for for a really long time. I think you know since my tween years. Um, and like, you know, a heavy role player, um, since the start of university, basically. So now that I work in the industry, role play and gaming is kind of my whole life, which I, yeah. I enjoy, you know what I mean? It's great. It's great that my hobby turned into, uh, into a job, um, my jobby basically. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you, so it sounds like you played probably a lot of role-playing games early on. What, what's your go-to role-playing game if you don't play Wandering Souls? Uh, well, it used to be up till about five years ago, um, me and some friends from university, we played Vampire the Masquerade, um, and we played that intensively. I, I ran an eight-year campaign and then another six-year campaign um, with all with the same characters and all the drama that ensued, and we just started delving into other games. I mean, we played like kind of... Uh, you know, like we'd play like a three or four session thing of another game just that we'd pick up. But now mm -hmm. we're actually uh, now we're actually going in deeper into other games and we're playing Blue Rose right now. And I also run Blades in the Dark. So Bla I love Blades in the Dark. I would play that over and over and over again if I could. I don't know Blades in the Dark. Oh, it's a it's a rogue like game set in a steampunk world. And you play a group of criminals who are. Well, the, the the tragic thing is uh, is about Blades in the Dark is that you are just trying to get enough money, um, and secure enough wealth for yourself in this horrible, horrible setting that when your character retires, inevitably be inevitably retires because you will retire, that you'll mm -hmm. be able to retire well. Um, and I I love that premise basically. <laughs> Um, and then you do missions with your friends, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. The The mechanics there are so tight and so amazing. Blades in the Dark. Okay, I'll have to check that out. And, of course, you were talking about Vampire the Masquerade, so that's a LARP, right? Uh, well, you can. You can LARP it with Mind's Eye Theater, but it's actually, uh, it's a role-playing game set, uh, basically, with a bunch of D10s. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. My only My only experience with it was a LARP, and I didn't... I didn't get it. It didn't catch me, but I, maybe as a as a tabletop role playing game, I might do better with it. Yeah, like we, I, I think there's a there's a lot of scheming and politicking, at least in the games that my friends and I have played. Um, and like we really enjoyed it. I was also, you know, like as a young girl, I was a big Anne Rice fan. So you know, when I found Vampire the Masquerade, I was I was sold. Okay. Yeah, my my playing of it was it was a very political game. I was uh, somebody's minion because I just I just joined and they had this whole big place rented. There was an upstairs and a downstairs and uh, lots of places to move around and do things. But I was kind of sequestered in the room upstairs because I was just a like almost like a page or a minion to somebody, and so I was just kind of like there for. I don't really know what I was there for. Uh, maybe they just put this brand new character in in any place they could fit him. Um, but it just felt like so much whispering and weird stuff going on around me that I couldn't I couldn't stay with it. Oh, um, that's rough. <laughs> I was also very young. I certainly wasn't the person that I am now, and uh, I did not uh, I did not I did not really understand what was going on around me at the time. So um, I, think... I will I'll have to try to get back to Vampire 
the masquerade just to see what it's like at the table yeah i mean i think like you know some people do play games like that but i as a gm i try to set everyone at the same power level um because there's so many bad things that can happen to you in vampire that i try to make sure that my players are at least somewhat <laughs> on each other's side or at least somewhat e of equal power level because otherwise it, it just gets not fun basically um so everyone you're going against is from the gm rather than your your fellow players at least to a certain extent you know yeah it's hard just being a minion <laughs> yeah it was it was yeah <laughs> to say the least uh, especially uh, a quiet little teenage uh, wallflower minion <laughs> oh no you were a teenager too oh no yeah that's was, was probably yeah i don't remember how old i was but i was young um so the games you play, it sounds like you play more story-based games and they're not as, like a lot of people play games in very murder-hobo fashion where you're just running around killing things, picking up treasure and moving on. Uh, that doesn't seem, that's certainly not Afterlife Wandering Souls and that doesn't sound like the games you play. No, I mean, I mean that said, like I play a lot of 5th edition too. Um, okay. But uh, like I, I've, I'm a big fan of the um, the campaigns that they've brought out, but it's a it's a very different role play experience. It's almost me and my friends when we play D and D. It's more like we're playing a fun board game with some role play to it okay. than an actual real intensive role play experience. Um, for that, we definitely go to the other games, and then D and D is more like oh, what fun things can we do with our characters? You know what I mean? Like our builds and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I know that you had something else you were working on and you wanted to talk about that. Um, you've got a Kickstarter that's going on right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I have a design partner um, for Patreon, Steffi Devan. She is an extremely amazing and talented, talented designer. Um, and last year we challenged ourselves to uh, create 12 games in 12 months and wow. yeah yeah and we did it which i'm so proud of us um she designed six i designed six they're super they they range anything from like a color a role play coloring game about unicorns to a trip <laughs> into wonderland with alice carroll to a game called bloody demon slayers where you play magical magical people who get powers when they menstruate um <laughs> and <laughs> We are um, we're running a Kickstarter right now to uh, publish an anthology of all the games. It's already funded, and we've moved on to stretch goals. So I'm uh, I'm really excited about that. Okay, so they can go to Kickstarter. We've got uh, just a couple of weeks as of this as of this recording. So I'll, I'll try to get it out quickly so that people can can go and support you. Um, yeah, it's called Two Women Twelve Games Make One Hundred. Make One Hundred. Yeah, um, basically Make 100, it's it's awesome. It's this awesome issue by Kickstarter where basically um, you try to make 100 of something. So, mm -hmm. for example, like in with our anthology, we had like 100 uh, special covers, and obviously people can back for the normal, the normal game with the normal cover as well. Um, but some people do just like 100 designs, 100 recordings of something. It's kind of this just excuse to be creative in the month of January on Kickstarter. Okay, I I didn't know about this. That's fa that's fascinating. Now you said make covers. That means you do the artwork. Um, no, like we have an alternate cover. 
um, which is basically there's a hundred of these alternate covers that people can back for, um, which was our kind of version of Make 100. So it's, you basically get a little bit more of a special edition than the normal retail edition that will go into the stores and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like you get a one of 100 or, uh, you know, number three of 100 or something like that. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Well, the the reason that I, you know, I've told you the reason I was excited about the game um, and the things I, I wanted to ask, uh, I think I've gone through. Um, but I, I'm just really, like, I really want to get to the point where I get to play the game and see what see what comes of it when I play. And that that's the better way to find out whether or not therapy is going to work for a game. Um is to play it and and kind of watch what comes out of it. The, the whole idea of, you know, the, one of the things that we're rolling for change came from was watching myself play games and watching the changes in myself as a result of playing games. So it's from being on the outside, it makes it a little harder for me to dig as deep as I want to because I don't have the experiences that I want to have. I did enjoy watching you play, um, play with uh, Camden and I, I don't remember who the other Kate. person was. What's that? Kate. Kate, yeah. That was an enjoyable uh story that you guys were putting together. Um I didn't I don't think I saw all of it, but I really enjoyed what I saw. Yeah, it was it was cool because uh Kate basically we uh her her backstory basically that we created for her, she uh she had like her sister was able to have a kid basically that was her thing and Kate herself is a doula. So it was interesting her bringing her real life experience into her characters thing as well. I was like, well, like, you know, at least you have this memory of your sister holding the baby. And, and I'm like, but your character didn't want a child. Like, how do you feel about that? And she's like, oh, Liz, you got me there because there's this magical thing about holding a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and she, so it was, uh, yeah, that was a really fun game. Did you guys play more than you put on on it more than you broadcast no we we just uh we, i ran a one-off for them um because okay. kate was curious how it played because uh like you basically she uh at least she wanted to write about it in her blog but i think afterlife is i mean you can watch games of it but until you get yourself in there and you play it it's difficult to really quantify the experience at least for like the reliving of the memories um that's a it's kind of a special thing so uh we i ran that for her so she could see how that felt okay and was she hooked uh she she enjoyed it she enjoyed it definitely and it seemed like i Camden think so was I, I hope so she told me she <laughs> yeah it, so. <laughs> either that or she's just pulling the wool over your eyes exactly well she wrote a very sweet blog post so i think it's okay <laughs> okay excellent well, where can people find you? Where can people find Wandering Souls? I just happened on it as a result of Kickstarter, but where is it now? Um, okay, so you can um, you can find more information about Afterlife on our website, which is angryhamsterpublishing.com, um, or you can follow us on Facebook. We're there at Angry Hamster Publishing or on Twitter at Angry Hamster RPG. And we're going to be releasing a follow-up book to Afterlife this year. Um, it won't be on Kickstarter, but we're just going to release it and we'll show it on all our social media channels. And that's basically a wanderer's guide to limbos and mirages. And that'll be a more expl deeper exploration into uh, what limbos and mirages are and uh, what life in the Tenebris is like. So you're, you're coming up with some 
My, yeah, I, re- I read the book, and I was thinking that there needed to be a lot more exposition on what goes on in in those limbo spaces. And uh, um, yeah, that's exciting. I'm glad that you guys are doing that. Yeah, we were really fortunate to get pretty overfunded with our Kickstarter, so it gave us the space to be able to create a new book. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm personally excited too, because you know when you when you create a core book, there's only so far you can delve into things. When you know you need to give everyone all the information and not overwhelm them. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited to go deeper into the subject of limbos and what people can experience and explore there. So it, it was a well received Kickstarter, and. Are, are people playing it now? Do you see it happening in conventions? Are you going to conventions? We are going, to, I'm going to some conventions uh, this year. Um, recent, most recently I've seen it. Um, there's a campaign. Someone's running it on the gauntlet, which is an online uh, gaming space, which is very cool to see. Um, and, you know, some people have mentioned that they're running it, which, uh, which is exciting, but you know, you never, like besides for like books being bought, you know what I mean? So you kind of know how your sales are going. Right. Uh, unless people tag you in games, you're never quite sure if people are playing it or not. I mean, I'm assuming they're playing it. And it, it like when it pops <laughs> up online, that's always a good sign, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen people playing it, but I keep hoping to find somebody playing it because w- I'm, I'm going to run this fairly soon. I know I am, um, even though I have very little GM experience. But I know that I, I have enough invested in my mind in this game that I, I it's got to get to the table it's got to it's got to be something that I play with my friends um, we, good we will be post uh, we will be hosting afterlife games at Gen con through the IGDN room and I will be at breakout con in March and I will also be running afterlife for people who are interested if anyone is in the Toronto area okay so breakout con is in Toronto and are you also going to go to um gen con i won't be at gen con i uh i it's a bit pricey coming over from the netherlands yes I think even is. if you're in the states it's very expensive to go to gen con um but i have a very it generous is. gm who is going to run a couple of games of afterlife for uh for everyone there and we're gonna write up a special adventure and everything so it should be exciting yeah, and Gen Con's the place to do it because that's where people are trying to experience lots of new things and get a feel for new games that are out there. Um, yeah, that, that's exciting. Even if uh, I wish it was you, but even if it's not you, if I can go to Gen Con and and get involved in a big group, that'd be great. Um, yeah, Gen Con is expensive. It's really hard to go most years. <laughs> even even the years that I presented at Gen Con, it was hard to go. Because th- presenting, they give you, you know, they give you the free ticket, but that don't take care of the place you're gonna stay. Oh, the hotel, the hotels are killed. The, the hotel is the reason that I didn't. I, you know, I, I've even like, you know, I even looked like right after one Gen Con for the next Gen Con, hoping that booking early would help, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the trick is maybe to do uh, Airbnb, but I think even Air- Airbnb has kind of figured out. Oh, this is the time to raise my prices. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. But then you said you're also going to be in Toronto for Breakout Con. You're going yes. to be in Toronto for Breakout Con, so you are coming over for that. So that must be an easier place to stay. And I don't yeah. even know anything about Breakout Con. That's something I'll have to check into. It's a it's a local Toronto con. Um, a lot of people say it's one of their favorite conventions. 
Um, and I, I'm biased because they invited me as, uh, as one of the guests of honor to go oh, there. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and yeah, like I, I've just heard so much good things about Breakout Con. I tried to go at least once a year stateside somewhere to a con, like uh-huh. I've been to Origins a couple times. Um, but this year it's going to be Breakout. Okay. What's your favorite con to come over to the States for? Well, I think so far it's, it's been Origins because that's what I've gone to. Oh, okay, um, okay. But maybe Breakout will change my mind. And and what's over in Europe? We have the UK Game Expo. Um, okay. That's in the UK in Birmingham. There's also Dragon Con. Um, and what Angry Hamster goes to is we go to Spiel. And Spiel is the largest gaming convention in yeah. the world. So it's not a place okay. you actually really go to play games. It's very much a uh, to sell games. So we have a booth there. Yeah, it there. really is. It's a wasteland full of games, basically. Oh, it! I remember the first year I went. We I went there for four days. On the final day, I realized there was a whole nother hall I hadn't been in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I hope to get over there sometime. But I I imagine that I just it, it's just going to be too overwhelming. Like my head's going to pop when I see all the games that exist out there. It is. It, yeah, it's uh, it is a lot of fun though. Like I mean, you can also find like quiet places and halls. Like and at one point, like. I remember just playing games so I could sit down. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's yeah. how big it is. <laughs> now you mentioned Dragon Con, which to me that's not a European thing. Is there actually a European con called Dragon Con? Yeah, there's a Dragon. Oh, maybe I. Oh no, did I say? Okay, I think it's yeah, Dragon Con in December. Oh wow. I thought there was a, or it's a Dragon. Wait, let's see. We have Dragon Con here in Atlanta in in uh, August, like August oh, September time frame. My apologies, it's Dragon Meat. Sorry, Dragon Meat. Okay, Dragon okay. <laughs> Dragon Meat. So that's it's 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 much smaller, but it's uh, it's completely um, geared towards role play games, which is cool. Um, and you know, we have a couple of local cons in uh, in Holland that we get to just because. But they're very they're small, small fish basically compared to something like the UK Game Expo. Yeah, is is the gaming scene very big in Holland? Um Well, I mean, like we're a small country, so everything is relatively small. But yeah, there's a lot of people True. gaming. Video games are definitely bigger. Um, but D and D, like everywhere else, D and D is definitely on the rise. Um, and hopefully then the indie scene will get a bit better too, because you know, once everyone's interested in D and D, it's like the gateway role play game. <laughs> It's true. Uh, that's that's what brought me into a deeper world. And even I didn't even play that much D and D, but I, I ended up uh, playing a lot of other role playing games as a result of knowing about D and D. That's how I found out about role playing games. Now I'm now the thing I'm playing most often is kids on bikes. Um, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's uh, that's a fantastic uh, that's a fantastic world that uh, that Doug created there. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to checking out Teens in Space, and there's a few other things that I'm I'm looking to run. Um, but uh, Afterlife is kind of on the top of my list right now. So I, I might actually reach out to you and just ask questions as I start to try to get involved in this world, just to try to make sure I'm doing things right. Please, I uh, I am an open book. I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Excellent, excellent. Well, Elizabeth, uh, it's been wonderful talking to you about Afterlife Wandering Souls. 
I, I hope that people will go out and buy it. I hope people will go out and play it. Um, and I hope they'll check out your Kickstarter as well. If somebody wanted to reach you and just say, hi, I enjoyed your conversation, anything like that, what, what would they, how would they reach you? Um, you can contact me. Uh, I think Twitter is easy. Twitter messages or through uh, through Facebook. And uh, yeah, we're on Twitter at Angry Hamster RPG and Angry Hamster Publishing on uh, on Facebook. Excellent. Okay, Angry Hamster. I think I've I think I've seen other games by them, and I can't think of anything else right now. But more for me to look at. The, the, if anything, Rolling for Change has been a catalog of me discovering new things. <laughs> People new just games. watching me discover new things. That's the best thing when you at least like this is like that's the best thing about this hobby. You just meet so many people who do so many different things, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Well, Elizabeth, thanks so much for talking to us. Um, I'll, I'll I'll keep you updated on what uh, what games are like for us. Awesome, thank you so much. All right, and everybody else, uh, keep on rolling for change. You've been listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you enjoy our podcast, please check out the incredible selection of podcasts over at network.geektherapy.com. One of the most recent podcasts comes from Hero Nation, in which Sophia and Breck talk about their favorite pandemic-themed comics. Now that we're all social distancing amid the shelter order for COVID-19, you may find you're in need of some friendly discussion and camaraderie. You can find many wonderful geeksters to chat with over at geektherapy.com forward slash discord. Finally, a big thank you to the musicians that created the theme song you're listening to now. You can find their music over at rocketscientists.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening. We want everyone to stay safe and healthy. If you need a game with our friendly crew, just send an email to gamers at rollingforchange.com and we'll be happy to set something up and play with you across the oasis. Until next time, wash your hands and keep on rolling for change.